How many people like a Yankee swap or a white, white elephant? Maybe you call it a white elephant. Okay. Why not? Let me ask you again. Maybe, maybe you guys weren't paying attention. How many people like a Yankee swap or a white elephant? So not that many. Maybe some. A little bit reserved about it. It's my favorite thing to do during Christmas time. I absolutely love it. I love it for, for a variety of reasons. One of them is I like to give weird gifts to people. So I like to see their faces when they open up these strange and crazy gifts. Uh, it could be a coconut monkey. It could be a really disturbing and awkward angel or whatever it may be. Uh, I like to, like to see that. But it's also, I enjoy it, especially when, I get to, when we get to do Yankee swaps with other Christians. Because it's the only time that Christians can steal from one another. As a matter of fact, they're encouraged to do so. And there's no repercussions whatsoever. So, so that's always a lot of fun. And you just never know what you're going to get. Um, here's, here's a picture of Nate. I asked permission if I could. I don't know what he's holding. But, but typically you get some kind of strange gifts. But there's a, there's a tough part about the Yankee swap. And the tough part is if you get a gift that you really, really like. And if you're not the first or the last person and you're somewhere in the middle, right? You know how that feels, right? And you got a gift, and you're like, man, this gift is absolutely perfect. I just want to hold on to this gift. But you know, guess what? You're not going to keep it, unless you're a small child with easily hurt feelings. But even then, I've seen some, some people be pretty brutal. And they just forget about, let the kid cry. They'll get over it. It's a lesson learned, life lesson learned. But you, you go through that time period, and you're not really enjoying it because you're like, someone's going to take this gift from me. I'm going to lose it. But I really, really like it. You know, I, I think sometimes that's how we go through salvation. I think sometimes, maybe we wouldn't come right out and say it. But I think sometimes we feel that way. We may think that way about the gift of salvation. We may think, you know, am I going to make it through this life with this gift in the end? Am I going to lose it? Or is someone going to take it away from me? Or maybe God's going to say, yeah, you know what, Mark, you're not, you're not working out. You're just not what I, I thought you would be. And that can really hinder our walk with our Lord, can it? can cause doubt, can cause anxiety, can cause us to question, can cause us to try to earn our salvation. All of those things that can hurt our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. Last week we spoke about the gift of salvation. This is one of the reasons that we are to glorify Jesus Christ because He's the only one who could give us that gift of eternal life. But guess what? Before that gift, there was another gift. I want you to read, I want to read the first part of, of verse 6 here. Listen to what Jesus says. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. And there's something that we need to see in this truth that you and I have been gifted to Jesus Christ, before we received that gift, God gave us as a gift to Jesus Christ so that he may reveal 
God to us so that we may enter into this relationship so that we may know God. And guess what? Jesus Christ is not going to return that gift. You and I are absolutely safe and secure in his hands. And the revealing characteristics or the revealing results or responses that you and I see in this passage that we manifest speak to the transaction that happened so long ago. Speak to this truth. Speak to the truth that you and I have been given by God to Jesus Christ so that we may know him, and because of that, we can trust that we are safe. We are God's gift of love to Jesus Christ. We often think of eternal life as, a, as, as, as God's loving gift to us, and it is. But God has also given us to Jesus Christ out of love. It is the fact that we know Him. It is the fact that we have a relationship with Him that verifies that we have been given. Jesus says this earlier in John, doesn't He? And listen to what He says. This is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose how many? Absolutely none. That I shall lose none of those that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So are you going to keep your gift? You better believe it. Why? Because you're kept by him. And we see this in the very, very next verse that we're going to be looking at. And, and, and we have to understand that part of what reveals that we have been given is the fact that we have been taken from something. What does he say we've been taken from? We've been taken from the world. So every time that you and I are, are with our friends or with those who don't believe, or maybe you're at school and you're hanging out with people, and, or maybe you're at work and they're talking about all of these, these different things that don't reflect your worldview or that kind of make you feel weird inside and you kind of feel out of place, don't you? Well, what is that reflecting? That's reflecting this truth right here. So don't be discouraged. Actually, be encouraged. Because it reflects that you belong to God's kingdom and you no longer belong to this world. Because why? You've been taken out of this world and you've been placed in his hands and therefore we are not going to worship the God of this world. All of that points to a truth. It points to a truth that we belong to him. We are safe and secure in his hands. And I hope that you believe that. I hope that you trust that because that's going to give you a confidence and an assurance that He wants you to have. He wants everyone here at Galilee who has trusted in His name to know that He is going to keep them till the end. Not because of what we do, but because of who He is. And what we have here is this results of this new relationship that have come about because of the revelation of God, and it's made around Jesus' word to us. So we're going to look at three results of this revelation of God to us that are found in the disciples, but that are found in us as well. So the first, the second half of, of verse 6, 
we essentially keep His Word, and I'll let you know why I use that word here in a second. So Jesus says, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. How many people know who this guy is? If you shout it out, I'll give you a mint or something. Anyone? Guesses? Going once, twice. Polycarp. The year was A.D. 155. Persecution against Christians swept across the Roman Empire and came to the city of Smyrna. The proconsul of Smyrna was all excited about this, and he was swept up in the, in the persecution, and he put out an order that the bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, was to be found, arrested, and brought to the public arena for execution. They found Polycarp, brought him before thousands of spectators screaming for blood. The proconsul had compassion on this man who was almost 100 years old at the time. He signaled to the crowd to silent. Polycarp, so he signaled to the crowd and he then said to Polycarp, he gave gave him a choice. He wanted to give him a choice to save his life. And he says, curse the Christ and live. Curse the Christ and live. The crowd waited. And in an amazingly strong voice, Polycarp said this, Eighty and six years I have served him. He has done me no wrong. How dare I blaspheme the name of my King and Lord. After Polycarp had rejected further pressures to deny the name of Jesus Christ and save himself, the governor then threatened to burn him. Polycarp turned the tables and warned him of the eternal fire. And with that, Polycarp became a martyr. hundred years old, almost a hundred years old. Kept the faith till the very, very end. How many people want to go out that way? Well, maybe not at a stake. (laughs) How many people want to keep the faith? Absolutely. I'm sure we see examples of this, and I know if you're like myself, I ask myself, what would I do? And I don't know what I would do. I'm afraid to be placed in a position like that. I used to not be when I was young and dumb and arrogant, (laughs) but now knowing myself and knowing, knowing my sinfulness and knowing my selfishness, I'm hoping I could do a polycarp, right? I'm hoping I would say, no. And I know many of you feel that way. We don't know sometimes. We wonder. Let me ask you another thing. Do you think polycarp was 100% faithful his entire life? Absolutely not. (laughs) Do you think Polycarp kept all the words of Jesus Christ his entire life? Absolutely not, because if if so, then Polycarp was God and perfect, and we know that's not the case. What is Jesus saying here? And I'm going to tell you something. Polycarp kept the faith because Jesus Christ kept him in the faith. 
Look at how the first half of this verse starts out. Before he says, they have kept my words, what does he say? They were yours. They belonged to God and God gave them to Jesus Christ. Folks, long before we came to know Jesus Christ, you and I belonged to God. And God kept us safe then. The transaction was safe. Jesus is going to lose absolutely no one. And God is going to make sure that you and I are kept safe until the very, very end. And I go back and I look at my own life. 24 years without Jesus Christ. And there were many times I'm like, I should have died. There's, why am I here? There, my life could have gone in so many different crazy directions. It's unbelievable. But here I am, the age of 48, standing here and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's impossible if not for this truth right here. And I'm sure many of you can go back and look at your lives and be like, yeah, it's, not, it's nothing short of a miracle. Why is that? Because of this. Notice what Jesus says here. He's talking about his disciples. Now, if we were to look at this, especially right after, does it look like they kept his words when they're running and fleeing? And Peter is what? Denying Jesus Christ to who? A servant girl? Does that look like they're keeping his words? No. What does Jesus see? He sees the end result, doesn't he? Jesus sees the end result of that trial, and he knows, and he can say, they have kept your word. They have kept the essential message or they have essentially kept his word. So he's speaking about the faith in general. It's not word, words plural, it is words singular. And he's talking about them remaining in the faith. I love the way that James Montgomery Boyce titles this chapter in his commentary, Christ's Word Kept by Christ's Own. Why is it that we keep his word? Why is it that he knows his disciples are going to end up this way? It is because God handed them over. It is because they were kept by God, and now they are kept by Jesus Christ, and he's going to make sure that you and I keep the faith. This is eternal security. Peter does the exact opposite of what Polycarp does, except not before a Roman ruler. He does it before what? A servant girl. He denies Jesus Christ. And he does it not threatened by fire, but warming himself by a fire. And yet he still denies him. But Jesus knows the outcome, and then later on, what's going to happen to Peter? How's Peter going to die? Well, legend has it, he dies hanging upside down on a cross. Folks, we're going to mess up, aren't we? There are going to be times that we're out in public and we're, we're not going to want to talk. Happens to me. I don't want to share. Or, or maybe there's going to be a time where you somehow even deny his name. 
But I promise you this, if you are His, you're going to remain His. And that should give us a confidence. That should give us an assurance that we need, even even in our history as a church, here at Galilee, have we been faithful the entire time that we've existed? Probably not. I, I know I've messed up here, so you've messed up through me. It's your fault, actually. And, and, and we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to be faithful. We're not going to do things that we should have done, and we're going to do things that we probably shouldn't have done. But I'll tell you what, look where we're at. We're still here, aren't we? And after two years of some of the toughest times that we've been through, here we are worshiping today. Why? Because we're kept by Him. We're kept by Him. I know we don't often think of the book of Jude as an encouraging book with regards to eternal security, but I'll tell you what, it is. Yeah, the book is about apostasy and about those that are falling away from the faith, but I want you to see the bookends that are in Jude. In the beginning and in the end of Jude, I want you to see where Jude starts out. This is what he says, Jude, a servant of Christ, of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James, To those who have been called, loved in God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. Called, loved, and kept. That's you and me. And notice what he says at the end. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joys, great joy. From beginning to end, you and I are safe and secure in His hands because we belonged to God. He gave us to Jesus Christ, and He's going to make sure that we make it all the way through. And you and I keep the faith because we're deeply convinced by it. It's kind of like a backwards transition, uh, backward sequence here as we look at these verses. So, we are deeply convinced or we are deeply certain or convicted by the truth of who He is, by the truth, and we are convicted by His Word. Listen to what He says in verse 7 and the first half of verse 8 here. Now they have come to know or are certain or are assured of or understand that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. The opening lines of a recent article in iNews reads this, those of us without traditional religion, are left to make our peace with uncertainty. There's nothing comforting about being agnostic or not knowing the truth. In the article, Eleanor Margolis laments her agnosticism and kind of muses at the benefits of faith. This happened in February uh, when the war in Ukraine began, And she began to look for a definite God. 
not the half-hearted agnostic God but built that is built on a Jenga tower of uncertainty, but a certain God, God of justice. She also said the last time that she felt so envious of religious people is when her mom was dying of cancer. She says certainty about the afterlife would have come in handy then, and my prayers might have created some illusion of influence or power over the situation. Instead, I was treated to the spiritual equivalent of a shrug emoji and became a devout follower of the one true religion of the 21st century uncertainty. Here's a quote. Speaks about faith. Faith is not certainty. Faith is the courage to live with uncertainty. Does that sound somewhat different from this verse right here? Just a little bit. This is the other side of the coin of uncertainty, and and we don't often see it. That people who do not have an assurance, people who do not know, are actually somewhat jealous and lament what they do not have. Hebrews says, now faith is what? The absolute assurance of the things that are hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Notice what he says about the disciples. Now, these guys don't know everything, do they? As a matter of fact, they have shown that throughout this this discourse. they're, They're missing the point a lot of times. However, they do know and they are certain of one or two things. And those things are what are most important. What do they know here And what they know here we see is an important doctrine that you and I need to know and be sure of. What is it that they know? Well, they know that all that Jesus has is all that Jesus has is God's, and all that God has is Jesus's. They know that Jesus is equal with God. And as a matter of fact, right after this, Jesus is going to say they truly know or they are really certain. They're convinced. They have a deep conviction of this. And you and I may be in the same position. There's a lot of things that we we might not be sure of. Maybe we don't understand all the teaching of the Bible. This is one thing we're sure of. This is where we stand. His word produces a conviction in our hearts. And you and I can say with certainty, yes, Jesus Christ is God. It's our confession. D.A. Carson says about this Christological statement, he says, any mere mortal can pray that all I have is yours, but only Jesus Christ can pray that all you have is mine. And when we think about this, this is the grounds for assurance for this prayer. Do you think Jesus' prayer for His disciples and for us is going to be answered? We can count on it. We can count on it. Why? Because Jesus Christ is God. Because all that God has belongs to Jesus and vice versa. 
And although he starts praying for himself, he does not finish that way. He prays for those that the Father has gifted to him. My youth group, my youth group questionnaire, questioner, they had a question. We do a youth group, what's your question? So we answer some questions for the youth group in case we're not covering them uh, in our lessons on, on, on Monday nights. So one of the questions was, how does doctrine apply to our life and what are some important doctrines that we should know? Well, here you go. Doctrine is actually the lifeblood of the church. The church, the true church of Jesus Christ, stands and falls on right doctrine. Stands and falls on right doctrine, and we want to know an important doctrine. Well, this is one of them, that Jesus Christ is equal with God, that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, and that only through Jesus Christ can you and I know God. These are convictions that you and I, as a body of believers, hold together and unify us. And I want you to see something else here. Notice Jesus says he has given, how do we know the doctrine? How do we know the truth? Through what? Through his words. Through his words. Jesus Christ, God has revealed specific words to us so that you and I can know him. And what you see happening in the, in the church in America is we're getting rid of these words. We're getting rid of the words that were delivered to us for words that everyone can agree upon and everyone can understand, and we're losing the language of Christianity. And I'm going to reference two times Pastor Dave's new book that I'm reading Uh, pastoral preaching, and he speaks about how we are getting rid of this language, and what that is doing is it is actually hurting our unity. I, I had a pastor once actually tell me that he doesn't use words like sanctification from the pulpit, and yes, eyebrows should be raised. Why not? Why not? Well, because unbelievers who may hear them may not understand those words. Well, then, guess what? It's my job to explain them. Because those are the words. God gave us very, very specific words. Justification, sanctification, redemption, sovereignty, grace, salvation. All of those words form our doctrine. And it's on our doctrine that you and I have what? Unity. That's where we have our unity first and foremost in our belief. Why? That's why we met here today and, and remembered the Lord's Supper. We don't have unity at the expense of doctrine. Unity is founded on common doctrine. That's what brings us together. Now, you, you, may, you may think that beef stew is a real meal. You can be wrong in this church. That's okay. Because we're unified here. You you may have different views on parenting. You, You may actually have different views on politics too. Is that okay? Yes. You know why? Because we're unified on this. We're unified right here. 
We're unified on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. That God sent him to die for our sins so that you and I can have eternal life. That's unity. That's what's going to bring us together. And the church is the greatest representation of diversity in unity. Unity in diversity. We're not all the same, even though Kevin wears the same shirt that I do all the time. And it's not about uniformity in all these little areas. We're not trying to create clones of ourselves. No, we express the faith in our own personality, in our own ways, and that's what brings us together. And we love each other for it. And we go out into the world and we say, you know what, you're welcome too. Yeah, you may look different, that's okay, we welcome you here. Why? Because this is what bonds us together. They know he's talking to them as a group of individuals and what bonds them together. They were all different. I'm sure they wanted to kick Peter out of that group multiple times. But they don't. Why? Because of this. Because of this. To be certain today is not very fashionable, is it? As a matter of fact, it's frowned upon. If I stand up here and I say, I'm absolutely certain that Jesus Christ is God, people are going to look at me, whoa, that's arrogance. Whoa, that's pride. But I'll tell you what, we got to remember, in their hearts they may be saying, I wish I had that. This is one of the results that reveal that you and I have been gifted to Christ and that reveal that God has been revealed to us. And we feel this way. We have these convictions because we have wholly received His Word. This is where it begins with acceptance of the truth that He has delivered to us. Listen to where he go, ends in, verse, in the second half of verse 8 here. So, for the words which you gave me, I have given to them, and they received them. And they truly understood that I, and again, another doctrine, that I come, came forth from you, and they believed, and result, that you sent me. This is the good soil. So everyone is familiar with the parable of the good so- of the, the sower and the seed. I think it actually should be the, the good the soils, the parable of the soils, because there's four, four different soils that Jesus talks about. This is the good soil. And I believe that that is the only soil or the, the only person in that parable that is a believer. Because the end result is fruit. There is no fruit in in the other three whatsoever. The other three have the word that's stolen, it's choked out, it's dried up. No fruit. The end result of the one with the word is fruit. And we see this process that happened with the disciples and that happens with us. What is it? It's an acceptance It's a receiving of His Word, and then what? We're convinced, we really know, we're certain of it, and then what? We do what? We trust, and we believe, 
specifically in a body of belief, again, doctrine. We believe in a very specific truth about Jesus Christ and God the Father. Our response to His Word, and I think this response needs to continue throughout our lives. I think this process continues. It's the, it's the initial process, but it's a process that continues. We accept His Word. We take Him at His Word. We receive it. We grab a hold of it. We're convinced by it, and then we trust. And we keep doing that throughout our Christian walk. That should be our attitude towards His Word with regards to everything in life. And it's, it's, not a, it's a joyful acceptance, a happy acceptance, it's a willing acceptance. The verbs here are all active, so they're all on our part. If you have an opportunity, I ask that you watch this video. I can't show it here, but um, if you have a chance, this is a video that is put out by the Bible Society and it's a video of a tribe, the, the Kimyal tribe, joyfully receiving the New Testament. And it, I, Kevin walked in on me when I was watching this video, and I, I was bawling my eyes out because it was just that powerful. So after more than two decades of working with missionaries, the fruit of their labor came forth. And the translated New Testament of the Kemal tribe was handed over to them. And if you look at the, the pictures up here, this one, this is them lining the airstrip. They're all lining the airstrip. And they see the plane coming in from a distance, and it just erupts. They're dancing and, and yelling and screaming and praising, and they're all so excited. When they saw the plane, they danced with joy and tears were streaming down their faces. And they were overwhelmed with excitement. And the leader, so afterwards the guy gets out and he's got these packages of just Bibles, multiple Bibles in these packages. And he hands them to the leader and the leader begins to pray. And this guy has some better theology than some students in seminary right now. This is what he prays. Oh God, oh God, the plan which you had from the beginning regarding your kemyals, which existed already in your spirit. That alone is just, isn't that what we're talking about? The month that you had set the day that you had set has come to pass today. Oh, my Father, oh, my Father. The promise that you gave Simeon that he would one day see Jesus Christ and hold him in his arms before he died. I have also been waiting on that same promise. Oh, God, you looked at all the different languages and chose which ones will be put into your word. You thought we should see your word in our language. Today you have chosen for this to be fulfilled. It has come to pass. Oh God, today you have placed your word into my hands just like you promised. You've placed it here in our land. And for all of this, oh God, I give you praise. Amen. 
and a roar of thanksgiving took over the entire place. People began shouting and dancing, giving praise to Almighty God. Everyone was overjoyed and excited to receive, to receive their own Bible. This is what it looks like. (laughs) And this is what it should continue to look like. That's accepting the Word, isn't it? That's receiving the Word. And the word here for receive, it means to do what? Take hold of. To take hold of it. To grasp it. And to make it a part of yourself. James Boyce says that we let it sink down into our minds. And I would add, into our hearts. And what do we allow it to do? We allow it to change us. We allow it to transform us. And everything that we believe, our, what we think, and what we do is influenced by this truth. That's the transformation. That's what's happened to his disciples. And that's what happens to those who have been gifted to Jesus Christ by God and God has been revealed to them. They receive the word. They wholly take it in. It becomes a part of their lives and they are absolutely transformed by it. Transformed by it. And I I think that, remember this, this should be our attitude towards God's Word every single day of our lives. Absolutely overjoyed, receiving it with joy, accepting it, understanding it, being convinced by it, being convicted by it, and believing it. And again, we have two very specific truths. The second one, so the first one is what? What do they know? What are they certain of? Everything that God has given to Christ, everything that He has is God's. And the second one, I came forth from, from you or you sent me. And everything that Jesus has is God's. Or everything that God has is Jesus's. So again, we see that it's not just an experiential belief. We can't make up things about Jesus to believe. We can't make up our own Jesus. We can't put away certain aspects of His Word and not obey them. The receiving of His Word results in the believing of Christ, of who He is and what He says, and in turn transforms ourselves transforms us. Jesus is not some sage or mystic. He's not just a moral example. He's not a political radical or a passive liberal. Jesus is God Almighty incarnate who was sent to, this, to walk this earth in perfect obedience, to die for our sins on a cross. No other Jesus will do. This is the Jesus that we accept. This is the Jesus that we become convinced of. This is the Jesus that we place our faith in. And the attitude towards His Word, like the attitude of that tribe, should continue throughout our Christian walk. Let me ask you a question. After they received this Bible their own Bibles. 
how many of you would want to go on a night mission with me and try to, try to sneak into that tribe and steal it from them? You have any willing souls that would want to do that? You sure? Come on. I think we'd get the point, actually, literally. I think there would be spears pointed at our faces, and we might end up like Polycarp. Do you think they would part with that word? No way. No way. Do you think they would die for that word? Absolutely. Why? Because of the truth that we're talking about today. And if you, if you think, if you don't think that we could take that Bible from them, then what makes us think that we can be taken away from God? What makes us think that He's going to ever let go of us? Because Jesus says it again. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and nobody, absolutely no one can snatch them from my Father's hand. You'd be better off trying to steal a Bible from the, the Kimil tribe, but I don't think you're going to get lucky with that either. You and I have been gifted to Jesus Christ so that He may reveal God to us and He's going to keep us safe and secure until one day He brings us home. Father, thank You for Your sovereignty. Thank You for the grace that You have bestowed upon each one of us. We don't know how this all works out, Lord, but we know it works out. I pray that as we go throughout our week, we're reminded of this truth. Though we may stumble, though we may fail, you will always be there to hold us up and to keep us safe and secure until we are with you for all eternity. May this truth become so real in our lives this week. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.